service to kind of hear the renewed vision towards the new direction for 2020. Um, really want to encourage you. I know we've stacked several little light finger food and fellowships and together with the dinner fellowship next week, but that's all right. Come on, somebody. Man, that's all right. Listen, I want to ask you to stand up, and we're going to go right to the Word of God. Visitors, we're glad you're here. We appreciate so much you taking the time to worship with us. If you did not fill out a visitor card, we encourage you to do so. There should be one in the seat in front of you. You fill it out, and you leave it in the seat or take it uh, in the foyer and turn it in at the table there. We'd just like to have that record of your visit. For our church family here today, you know that I've been in this particular theme for two weeks now. This is the third of us. Became a series. It wasn't necessarily intended to be a series, but it evolved into a series. Um, we're only going to read a couple of verses to get started here, and then we'll kind of connect the dots here in a few minutes. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter number one. The Gospel of John, chapter number one, and it's in verses four and five that's attaching today's message to the theme that I began um, three weeks ago now today. Here in the fourth verse. It says, in him, who's that him? Right in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Isn't that powerful? The light shines in the darkness. If you look that word comprehendeth in the original language, it's kind of a, a, a compilation of a couple of words in, in Greek that actually could be interpreted, uh, overtake it, darkness cannot, or overcome it. The darkness can't overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome. So today I want to talk to you about how the, the light shines in darkness. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to help us. And I really need the Lord's help today to take this dialogue further. Father, I love you, and I'm humbled to be amongst men and women that have gathered in this house that have found a value in preaching. I remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians that to the Jew it was a stumbling block, and to the Greek it was foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the word. Father, I'm asking today that not only would my heart be prepared to share the word, and that there would be an embedded boldness inside my spirit, walking in love, handling the text very graciously, but also to prepare the heart of every listener under the sound of my voice. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, let the things that are said and done, Father, minister, Father, the truth of the Word of God. That's my prayer. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much. And I want to kind of repeat what I just said in prayer, just as an opening dialogue. I mean, when you think about it, there's something spiritually dynamic about preaching slash teaching that feeds your spirit. Again, Paul said to the Jew, this was a stumbling block, and to the Greek, it's foolishness. And there are those in your community of life that see your faithful attendance to a particular building on a regular basis where you're seated. And in this particular environment, you're not able to ask a question or point out or make a reference, but you just sit with a listening ear to hear, and you have an embedded faith inside you that you're trusting that God and His sovereign grace is empowering the words that I say to carry the tenor of His words, that the words that I speak are in harmony with the Word of God, 
And that what these words can also have a prophetic unction. That's a prayer I pray on a regular basis. That they can have a prophetic unction. That have a, a, an anointing. I pray on the thing I ask for the most every time my sermon preparation is, Lord, I need the anointing of the Spirit of God. That's the prayer that I pray. I pray, Father, no matter how much I study or how little I study, Father, doesn't matter my education or my lack of education. Without the anointing of God, then I'm incapable of communicating the things that God wants to say to you. Now, I believe in this moment. Jesus himself said, he that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So I began three weeks ago talking about the light. I know it's Christmas time, and we have begun to focus, churches do, uh, their attention, and I'm not, I'm going to be as transparent as I can be. I'm not a big event-driven pastor. I never have been, and unless there is a radical transformation, I will never be. My attention is to the Word of God and to just the preach and teaching of the Word of God, but I still tag team with light, and I found myself talking about Jesus being first the light of the world. How many of you believe that today? He's the light of the world. We confess that with Jesus himself said, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world. But then he said, in almost the same breath, but you are the light of the world. And that was sermon number one. And I was taking this and sharing with you how that the record in Scripture was, is that Jesus was speaking first to the Jew, but also later to the church, which encompassed both Jew and Gentile, that once you have been become born again, God expects you to shine the light of His grace, His love, the truth of the Word of God. And so we began to unfold that dialogue. Last week, I took you deeper into let your light or let the light shine using the, 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 the notion that we have the knowledge of God that's revealed to us in the Word of God. It's a prayer that I pray on a regular basis, and I want to encourage you to pray. Ask the Lord to open your eye. I mean, Jesus met with his disciples who could physically touch him and yet still struggled to believe. And he prayed that God would open the understanding of their eye, their, open their mind's eye, open their ability to ponder and to understand the scriptures. I encourage you to do so. And so as we go a little bit farther, we've possessed the knowledge of God. It's our sincere belief. We believe that the church does necessarily. We are exhorted to both reprove or to expose the darkness. And we're going to take you into that text in just a moment. So to catch up before we transition into today's message, let's go back and we're going to read a couple of these verses that we've been using and as a backdrop, just so that we're all on the same page because this has got to come to a radical conclusion here today. And so we're going to go to Psalm 43. We're going to read just one verse of Scripture. Our total reading verse is not that much until we get to Ephesians. But in Psalm first, chapter 43, verse number 3, it said, O send out thy light and thy truth. Look at this. Let them lead me and let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacle. Send out thy light and thy truth. Now just for a notion, just real quickly, and that's probably uh, taking it too early, but the ancient temple of Solomon, it's believed... Uh, the original temple that it is believed that when it was erected that the windows were crafted in such a way that the light did not shine in, but the light shone out. For it was God's way of saying the light of truth from this temple revealing the knowledge of the one true God is to emanate outward into the darkness. Isn't that powerful? 
So let the light and truth, let it lead us. So now we go to John chapter number 3. And this was part of our text last or yesterday, and it was or last week, excuse me, verses 19 through 21. I'd just like for you to read it again. It says in 19th verse of the third chapter of John, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Exposed. He that doeth truth, and that's going to be a consistent theme in the message today, reminding you that we are exhorted not to just possess the truth, not to just pass the truth, but to live the truth. In every part of our person, he that doeth the truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. I'm not afraid of the light of God today. I'm not afraid of the light of God to expose. Not only the things that I believe have value and have a spiritual purpose in my life, but also let the light expose the error of my ways. Let the light, when your heart is really sold out after God, you're not afraid of the light. Because the thing I want the most out of every fiber of my being is to be pleasing to God. Every part of my person, every thought, every imagination, every word, how I act, how I react, how I talk, how I communicate, how I display the character of Christ, what I believe in, what I stand for, what I do in the community, what I do when I walk down off of this platform. I want to be able to bring God glory. And if there are areas of my life that are not pleasing to Him, then I want to accept the reproof that comes from the light of truth shining into my life. Come on, somebody. That's when your heart is sold out after God. That's what doing the truth is. And so let's go a little bit farther then. Then I found myself in Ephesians 5. And we began three weeks ago in Ephesians 4. But today we're going to jump to Ephesians 5. And we're going to go ahead and read about 13 verses rather quickly. So that it'll put us in the same context. And then we're going to, I'm going to try to summarize these things together. And let the people say amen. amen. Ephesians chapter number 5. Let's pick it up at verse number 8. Now, remember, as we pick it up at verse number 8, this whole journey started in the 17th verse or Paul of the 4th chapter where Paul spoke of the Gentiles. Don't walk as the other Gentiles in the foolishness of their mind. Don't replicate. God's put a change in us, hasn't he, church family? That passage of the 4th chapter talked about taking off the old man, putting on the new man, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Living differently, talking differently, acting differently, relating to other people. Things that we have mentioned previously multiple times. Uh, guarding ourselves from vain words. That's the sixth verse of the fifth chapter. You have to be very careful. Vain words deceive and distract from the truth. Here in the eighth verse, now Paul writing to us as believers, Gentile believers grafted into the olive tree, says, for you were sometimes darkness. That's who we used to be. We're not dark any longer. God's illuminated our thoughts and our minds to Him. He said, but now are you light in the Lord? Now that you're born again, let me just summarize that and put that in a little bit more understandable language for you. Once you receive the indwelling Holy Spirit and you become born again, the nature of God, God has, an he has the right to place this next level of expectation upon you because you're no longer yours. You're His. You belong to God. You were purchased by the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in this passage here, he said, If you're light in the Lord, then you need to walk as children of light. Let's go farther. 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's going to produce goodness, not only uh, in, in just who we are. I believe in, in inherent goodness God can put in us because we are born again by the Holy Spirit. But also we're going to walk and we're going to validate His goodness. Righteousness, right standing, and right living. And then also truth, that God's going to reveal truth. We're going to receive truth. We're going to walk in that truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. There are things that are acceptable to God. And if you look at that, then that means there are some things that are, that are not acceptable unto God. God is sovereign over the creation. We may think He's lost His place as God, but He's not. He's working everything together for the fulfillment of His divine purpose that's been revealed in Christ. He has the right, the sovereign right, to put an expectation Upon each of us and his creation. And then let's go farther. Let's read this on down. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather reprove them. I'll tell you what. We need a drawing out in our generation. We need it. In days gone by and we're going to get to a very delicate subject once again today. We're going to get to a very difficult. But there was a coming out in days gone by. There needs to be a new coming out. Coming out of darkness and walking in the marvelous light of God. Twelfth verse. For it's a shame. There are some things happening in our culture today. There are things that are available to you with a click of a button that it's a shame to even speak of. That I, I, I don't even have the audacity to bring some of these things that are available to you at the click of a button to bring it here verbally and talk about it. and to, It's a shame to even talk about it, he said. It wrenches your heart and grieves your spirit. But all things that are reproved are made manifest, 13th verse. By what? By the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The light shines into the darkness. And the darkness does not overtake it. So then he says, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I believe whoever will respond, God will illuminate their understanding, their spiritual understanding. Verses 15 through 21, to complete the scriptural reading. See then that you walk circumspectly, cautiously, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. We're only here for a set amount of time. God's given us. We want to do our very best. To redeem the time. To draw men and women. To expose them to the light of the gospel. And then he said, Wherefore be not unwise. Or let me go ahead and read that. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let's clarify that. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be, I, want, I want to, before I move to the 18th verse, which is a very important part of this whole a dialogue here, but the 17 verses, don't be unwise, don't be in ignorance, don't live in ignorance, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That means you've got to be pliable and you've got to seek God. You've got to ask some really hard questions, not only about yourself, but about the expectation of God in the community and what you stand for, what you believe. So you've got to really challenge yourself because we're to redeem the time. I've said it many times, if God didn't have a distinctive divine purpose for each one of us, the moment we, were got, the moment we got saved, we ought to have been raptured or died all right but god left us here with a distinct purpose to be a light to be that city set on a hill that cannot be hid 
And so how are we going to maintain this vibrancy? And I'll clarify some in closing in a moment. That we're not going to be drunk with wine. Listen, I'm not into Christmas parties sipping and dipping and doing all that stuff. Listen, I'm into staying full of the Holy Ghost and full of the power of God. Having a, a, an anointing upon my life. I spoke to someone yesterday was talking about, well, we need that fire. We need to get that fire burning again. And I, I said to him, brother, I keep my fire burning. It's called a prayer chamber. It's there that I blow the dust off the coal and I fan the flame and I stir up the gift of God. Stir it up and agitate it within my own spirit because I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that I can hear the truth, receive the truth, and walk in the truth if I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm flesh like everybody else and I'm mortifying it on a daily basis. And one of the main ways and means that we keep a spiritual stimulus in our heart, being full of the Holy Spirit, is speaking unto Him. And psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. I mean, that's a powerful thing. That is a positive in our generation towards technology. Because I can stand in my kitchen along with Sister Sherry, and we'll be working in there, and we can say, Alexa, Alexa, Alexa. Play Bethel music. And finally they will. Right there at my fingertips. I tried on my phone. We renamed Siri Shiri. Just sounds more natural for me. Shiri, can you do this for me? Oh, that's funny, people. Come on, somebody. Good gracious alive. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Paul summarizing as he's exhorted the Ephesian church in the midst of idolatry, but have now the, reveal, the revealed knowledge of God to don't give up. If you study about what happened in Ephesus, you'll find that that's one of the places the apostle Paul abode at the longest and one of the greatest revivals that took place in the history of the book of Acts happened at Ephesus, but it was always with conflict. It was always because that light penetrated into the darkness and there are those that didn't receive the truth some will the reality is is the truth that we share if we share it some are going to respond some's hearts are going to be open to the gospel but the reality is that others jesus himself said there are some that some that refuse to come to the light to have their deeds exposed and so we are in this constant conflict of, of following what christ said so the scripture said in John that Jesus is the light of the world. And he lighteth every man. And then once that light has been received, it reveals the Father. And it produces regeneration in the heart and the spirit of the believer. I speak about this on a regular basis. But your spiritual understanding can be enlightened. And the point of reference that I've been making in the book of Ephesians is that there are cultural things that take place in our culture as it was in the days of the Apostle Paul. That there are those that they cannot see, they cannot see the vainness of it. They can't see the error of it. They can't see because they are in gross darkness. Things that you and I can look at and we can obviously see with our eyes. That's wrong. It's immoral. It's unholy. It's, uh, it's against the knowledge of God. But they're looking at it and they cannot see because they're in darkness. But the only thing that will penetrate that darkness is the truth of the Word of God. We can't be afraid of the truth. We have to be able, once you become enlightened, you're able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, acceptable to God, not acceptable to God. 
Jesus himself brought revelation. I made this point last week. I want to talk about it a little bit further. Good versus evil. I made this statement. I heard this years ago from a, actually it was a oneness Pentecostal preacher that made this statement. It got down in my spirit. He said that the opposite of good or the opposite of evil is not good. But the opposite of evil is truth. So I want you to let that sink in for just a moment. Because you can do good. Hitler did some good things occasionally in his community. You can do good and still be evil. You can have good works and still be evil. But when you do the truth, it's totally different. There are a lot of people. You know what? The culture, I made this statement last week, and I want to bear, uh, bear it out again today, is that our culture today does not mind the church doing good works. They don't mind that the Salvation Army stands out in front of all of these, uh, uh, all of these uh, you know, establishments and businesses ringing a bell, gaining resources so that they can feed the poor or clothe the naked or house those that are displaced. They're all right with that, but they fight against their doctrine. Right? Let's go a little bit farther. So they, the, church, the world doesn't mind the church going through benevolent acts and deeds and all of that. But the one thing they don't want is they don't want the truth to expose the darkness that's in them. They've been blinded by the, by, by the enemy. The Bible says that the God of this world will blind the minds of those who believe not. Lest the light of the gospel penetrate and they receive the good news. So we have to understand that. But when you're doing the truth, when you receive the word of God, every part of your person is yielded to the Father's will. Every day that you get up, the thing that you are most concerned about in your life is, Father, I want to be pleasing to you. Everything that I do, I said it previously in this very message, and I'm going to say it again. To do thy will, O God, that should be our cry in our spirit, in every area of our person. Because I want to do the truth. I want to live the truth. I want to be faithful to God. I want to be all that he's called me to be. Are you all out there today? In the text of Ephesians 5, Paul teaches that the believer with his understanding enlightened by the knowledge of God, is instructed to have no fellowship. That's a challenge in our ecumenical community. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The reality is this is our time to redeem. Spiritual light must conflict and conquer darkness, not by force, not by waging jihad, not by reaching in two scabbards on both sides and drawing the sword of jihad, holy war, but rather the sword that we send forth is not dipped in the blood of, of martyrs or of those that we oppose. No, the sword that we wield is the sword of the Spirit, which I read is the word of Almighty God. It's more powerful than any tangible uh, force that we can put forth. We put forth the truth of God's word. Come on, somebody. That's the power of the word of God. Did you know in apostolic days, the early church confronted the darkness of error that was held first in their community to the Jew first, the gospel went. What was the error that was held by the Jewish community that we find the apostolic fathers confronting? It was their rejection of Messiah. It was their belief in a Judaism and a system of legalities and things that was actually separating them from God, not drawing them to God. It was the way they handled the law. That was who Jesus confronted. Some people have painted the picture of Jesus where he's passive and he's a pacifist and he walks around and he's kind. He's, it, people have painted Jesus. If he was living today, he'd be at the airport with flowers and beads and beans uh, and that's all he would be. But no, Jesus came preaching the gospel, announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, he spoke a truth. He spoke the light. He addressed issues. He called out hypocrisy. 
in his own. He was unafraid to challenge. And so were the apostolic leaders. They challenged. Paul grew frustrated at times. The Apostle Paul occasionally, when he went to a synagogue and he shared about Jesus fulfilling the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that he was the revelation, he was everything. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the descendant of Abraham. He was heir to the promises. But in their hardness of heart, when they rejected him, there were times that Paul got so agitated and so frustrated that he said, henceforth, he said, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm going to the Gentiles because you have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. But the apostolic fathers were unafraid to shine the light in the darkness. And then, as the gospel began to go forth into the Gentile community, you know the first thing that they had to confront? Idolatry. One of the pictures of this image that we see, when you think about it in the Jewish community, they had already been taught. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, Hear, O Israel! The Lord thy God is one Lord. They had been taught the Ten Commandments that there's but one God and there are no other gods besides me the Father has revealed Himself. But when they went into the Gentile communities and the nations of the world, they found idol after idol. Paul went to Athens in Acts chapter number 17 and the Bible says this, listen very carefully. His spirit was grieved when he saw the entire city given over to idolatry. Educated men, uneducated men. Educated women, uneducated women, rich men, poor men, didn't matter. They were all bowing to some pagan deity. They were worshiping Zeus or Mercurius, or they were worshiping as in Ephesus the great goddess Diana or Aphrodite in, the, uh, in Corinth. But Paul, when he saw it, his spirit was grieved at Athens. Here's what he did. He stood at a certain place, and he declared to them the truth that there's but one God. Matter of fact, he used the example of their altars that they had to all these gods. They had an altar to all the known gods of the Grecian communities. And he said, but then I found an altar that you labeled to the unknown. God. They wanted a clause. Maybe there's another God we don't know about that we haven't worshipped yet. So we're going we're gonna to build an altar to him. Paul said, that's the one I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the one that you can't see with your physical eye. The one that you can't touch with your physical hand. But the one that spoke out his own word and created all things by his own power. That holds the worlds in the palm of his hand. And nothing happens without his sovereign will observing and watching. Every, that's the one that I want to talk to you about. That God that chose to Reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the God I want to talk to you about. And every person that heard did not respond. Positive. Some did. Some said, man, I've been waiting my whole life to break away from Zeus and Mercurius and all the pagan uh, ideologies that have been, been taught in that never bore witness in my heart because their hearts were being opened to the power of the gospel. Correct? But then others, others did their very best. They took Paul outside the city and stoned him. Not in Athens, but in other communities. Where they raised up a riot against him because they loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Are you out there today? So the reality is, church family, the reality is, is that to be truly the light, we have to be light in our generation. Let me go ahead and make this as cultural. I'm, I'm a pastor today that, you know, I claim ignorance of some things, and I lack the educational, you know, uh, basis sometimes to speak with clarity on certain things. And I understand that, and I recognize that. But at the same time, I still want to be culturally relevant. 
I don't want us to just, I told you before, we, we can't just hide in the four walls of the church and sing Kumbaya anymore. A day of darkness has come upon the land. Right? That's just the reality. A day of darkness untold in the history of the United States. Maybe in the history of the world we can find a comparison, but not in the history of these United States. And so it demands that pastors be unafraid to address cultural, cultural issues. Because let me tell you what the church wants. The church, or excuse me, the world wants. The world wants you only outside the walls of the church to give away the resources that were stored up inside the church. That's the only thing. They don't want you to penetrate the darkness with the light of the truth. They want us hiding in our four walls, singing kumbaya, and not sharing the truth of the gospel. But the truth of the gospel must be told. The truth of the God. And there are, let me just go ahead and get, get it out of the bag. Let me let it out of the bag today just real quick. The two greatest errors culturally in our generation that are being perpetrated in ignorance by the children. Remember that term, children of disobedience. Hmm? Do you all remember that term? It's found in Ephesians 5. Two greatest errors is abortion and same-sex relationships. I said it, and I said it with a clear conscience. Abortion, people sit in darkness, can't see what you and I see. You and I can see that it has to be morally wrong to take a beating heart out of the womb of a mother and not allow it to grow to be birthed in the image of God. But there are those whose minds have been so darkened in ignorance and in unbelief. So what are we to do? Back away because they have attempted to intimidate the church? Are we trying to hurt or wound anybody? And at any given time, there's a reason why some pastors are afraid to speak on any of these issues is because if they do so, it's possible that somebody that's dealing with the two issues, either abortion or same-sex relationships, could be under the sound of our voice. And I understand that. It's a delicate thing. But the thing that I'm driven by is I'm driven by the truth. I'm driven by the Word of God and the compulsion that's within me. And I found out long years ago, God didn't change who He was for me. God didn't change His position or His precepts or His practices or the things that He shared in the Word of God for my position. No, God exposed me to them and gave me an opportunity to conform my life to the truth. You and I must shine the light into the darkness. The most divisive issue of sinfulness in our generation, is same-sex relationships. That's become the most divisive. You can hear this today. I want you can ride. I very seldom do I tell you that it's prophetic. But the things I'm telling you are prophetic. I've been telling that I, I can't say I prophesy to the four winds very often, but I've been sharing this for the twenty-something years that I've been pastoring a church because you could feel it in your spirit. You could hear the voice of God as I laid my head on the bosom of Jesus. That we're seeing these uh, these differences, these opinions, these positions, these ideologies, and now it's become theologies conflicting one to the other, and we have not seen the end of this argument as of yet. We have not seen yet the violence that's going to befall the communities in which we live and we're going to look back and say, oddly enough, it's going to hinge especially on this particular issue that we're talking about. That lifestyle choice has gone culturally from being sinful that needed reproof, the lifestyle choice of same-sex relationships to slowly coming forth out of the closet to kiss but don't tell. That was my generation. When I was in the military, that was the nature of things, to kiss but don't tell. 
and then to openly professing, now to full inclusion into society. And listen to this. Here's where we're seeing things go. The expectation of, the, of particular communities is full affirmation, not just of the individual themselves, but of the act itself. That's the tipping point. Full inclusion into society is one thing. Full welcoming and being kind. And just we're to be kind to everybody. Listen, but I'm not going to be intimidated to create a special class of people that get different set of rules. I'm going to speak the truth of the Word of God. In Jesus. I want to be kind to anybody and everybody no matter what their lifestyle choices are. Because that's what I'm driven. Because to me, that's doing the truth. But I'm not doing the truth if I don't share the truth of the Word of God. I'm not, do, I'm not shining the light in the darkness. If you've got cancer and I've got the antidote and I go and I hug you and love you and affirm you, but I don't get you the medicine that will take away the damnable disease out of your body, I have not loved you. But if I've got the truth and I've got the antidote and I've got the medicine and I can minister it to your love then I've shown, and it can lead you to life change to the glory of God and you can get up, then that's what I want to do. I want to do the truth. So let's go a little bit farther because this thing is, this thing is coming to the forefront. You say, Pastor Brown, this is Christmas. And he, yeah, Christmas is about the light. It's about he that came to share with us the revealed will of the Father to show us that we were yet sinners and we needed a Savior. He was born to die. Why was he born to die? Because we had all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was none righteous, no, not one. But I read in the Word that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Glory to God. And that's for everybody. Adulterer, fornicator, covetous, drunkard, and those in the vice of same-sex attraction. I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, but I'm used to it. The movement itself never wanted acceptance. It's wanting the affirmation of the lifestyle choice from the church. It's already got it from the community, the people of these United States, but it wants it from the church. Because if it gets it from the church then in that blinded ideology, it's got the affirmation of God on that lifestyle choice. And church family, that's where the debate will rage and it will be meshed out in podiums and in opportunities for uh, dialogue and debate. And I can't prophesy to you the outcome. I can prophesy to you the conflict because the light shines into the darkness. I said last week, and I will say it again, the truth is in Jesus. Come on, somebody. The truth is in Jesus. Right, what do you mean by that? Even in this debate? Yeah, absolutely. Even in this debate, it's in Jesus. It's in Je Now, I, I still believe Jesus is in Ephesians and in Colossians and in Romans. I don't believe that the letters have to be read to be the words, the words of Jesus. But there are some that do. But in Matthew's gospel, chapter number 19, Jesus said, hear this. In the beginning, God made them. You want to talk about gender confusion? Same-sex attraction, although in the beginning, God made them. Male and female. And the man would leave his father and mother. And cleave unto his wife. And the two would be one. 
in the beginning. The truth is in Jesus. We have perverted, distorted theologies that come along today to say that the reason why Jesus didn't address same-sex relations is because his mind could not comprehend that there would be loving relationships between same-sex couples. His mind. No, what are you, are you kidding me? His mind could not come. He who made the worlds and all things in them. He that causes the stars to hang out in nothingness and causes the earth to orbit around the sun. He who made all things mind could not contemplate the times in which we live today. Are you out of your mind? Yes, you are out of your mind. You're out of your mind because your mind's been darkened by the ignorance that's in you. But you know what that's being perpetrated by? That's being perpetrated by religious communities. There was a church, it wasn't that long ago, and I'll try to bring this to a close here in just a few moments. And I'm not going to leave you on a sour note. This is not sour. This is me challenging the screaming demonic lie saying, Preacher, don't do it. Preacher, don't do it. The spirit of Jezebel. Don't have the courage to prepare your people for the darkness in which they're living in. To not be intimidated to share the truth. Let me tell you today, when you speak the truth in love, you will be demonized in the culture in which we live today. You will be for speaking the truth in love, but guard your heart. Be emboldened because the people that you share the truth with need to hear the truth. You know what brought you to change in your life? You know what brought you to change in your life? When you were brought to the awareness that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You were confronted with something that we're afraid to even mention, the wrath of God. Shane said it on Wednesday night as we were summarizing and concluding the purple book. He asked Caleb, his 15-year-old giant of a son, why did you get saved? He said, because I don't want to go to hell. You know what? That is some baseline theology, but you got to receive that. There, listen, there's a right there's a wrong, there's a heaven, there's a hell. That's the truth of the gospel. Jesus warned us. We painted God in such a picture, in such a way, where he's no longer the judge. But the Bible says, Jesus himself, remember the truth is in Jesus. He said, don't fear those who have the power only to kill the body. He said, but fear him who has the power both to destroy body and soul in hell. You say, Pastor Brown, it's that. See, we have painted such a false picture of Jesus today. That's why we have conversions in people's mind, but not in their heart. Because true conviction's in the heart, not in the head. Because it happens in your heart first, and then there's an unveiling of the darkness and a revealing of the truth, and then you begin to change the way that you think. And the reason why we have today so many people coming out to mask Christianity. It's because, and I don't mean, and I'm not a negative preacher, and the reality is I am not a negative person. But I can't sit back and be silent and not prepare my church family for the darkness. You're ex exhorted by the Word of God to redeem the time. There was a pastor in the Assemblies of God, it was in 2015. He took a lot of personal reproof uh, and public reproof and ridicule. His, his name is John Lindell. He's the pastor of James River Assemblies of God. It's a large mega church. I know you've been past it because you've been on your way past Branson and you were going to uh, Lambert's. JoJo said the reason why their church grew so large is they strategically built across the road from Lambert's. And yet at the same time, he took ridicule because there was an ordinance that was being um, presented to the Springfield community. And he did what I did, am doing, but to a much larger audience. He addressed it from the pulpit and gave scriptural reasons of why 
that he felt like that it should be rejected as a city ordinance. Now, I don't have all the information about that particular debate that took place other than the immediate response was from the clergy. Many of the clergy that came together calling words hateful, calling words, and his words were so far from being hateful or from being hurtful. Can I read to you just real quickly? Are you all out there today? Let me go ahead and read real, real quickly. Here's what he said, just real quickly. This is just to show you an example of how the ideology has been so skewered. To be sure, this is Pastor John Lindell speaking to his, his church community. There are those who have same-sex attraction. But from a biblical perspective, homosexual orientation is no different than any other orientation a person might have towards a lifestyle that may be outside of God's will. A text of his comment says this, a person could have an orientation towards anger or chemical addiction or gambling or slander or stealing or pride or lying. Nobody gets mad at the preacher for standing up and saying, listen, folk, you don't need to be down at Tunica. You got money, extra money. It's called right here. It's an offering basket. You got a lot of extra money. It's called Pastor Appreciation Day. It's on the first... <laughs> Nobody, 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 but the moment, but the moment that a pastor speaks and addresses in love, those words were not harmful or hurtful. Those are just the truth saying, listen, I understand. He said, I understand people have true, natural, same-sex attraction. But if you come to the light, God's put an expectation upon you. That expectation is, is that you've got to take off the old man and put on the new man. That's God's expense for God, for all of us. Maybe I came to God before I did. I was, a, I, I was a gambler. Well, then, you know, it's time to put away the dice and stop pulling the slots and lift your hands up and worship God. Come on. That's what the Word of God. So Pastor Lindell, you know, quickly. But then, uh, then the response, the response of the, of, the, of the little ecumenical movement that was coming to withstand such evil, hurtful language says, while the behavior he names hurts individuals and community, says what actually hurts individuals who are LGBT and our communities is repression of their sexuality. Just ask the American Psychiatric Association or the American Medical Association. So these are supposedly clergy that are saying, well, we'll just ask the American Medical and, and Psychological Associations because what they say is going to trump the Word of God. We are preachers, but we're going to say what they say. Listen, Paul said, don't let anybody deceive you by vain words. Don't let anybody deceive you. That's why we believe in discipleship at our church because you got to know what you believe and why you believe it because God's called you to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. God said, let the light go out. Shine into the darkness. Let people be exposed to the truth. God can save and forgive anybody whose heart is pliable unto Him from anyone. And I could go on and on, but I have to be very careful. I don't wanna, I'm not trying to... Uh, to just wear away this point, but you and I are being confronted with it in every facet of society. Every facet of society. It wasn't that long ago in this calendar year that in Austin, Texas, that the, that the Board of Educators adopted unanimously to change sex education curriculum in their school, including to teach to third grade, or excuse me, from, uh, from 8-year-old to 11-year-olds uh, how to have better uh, anal sex how to prepare for it. You can go online and read about it. Now, you as a believer can opt out of it, your child, but that's being taught in our public schools. And you say, well, how can we sit? How can, because people sit in darkness. They can't see what you and I see, but we have the light. We have the light of the truth of the gospel, and we have to be unashamed to share the truth of the gospel. 
What's happening, unfortunately, is the light grows dim in the temple. The light's growing dim in the temple. Like in the days of Samuel, the Bible says there was no open revelation of the word of God. The Bible says because of the sins of Eli, who was the priest in those days, it came to pass that when Eli was laid down in his place, his, uh, the church has been laid down. The preachers have been laid down. Our eyes have began to wax dim like Eli's. And we cannot see. And here's what it says. 1 Samuel 3 and 3. And the lamp of God. The lamp of God began to go out into the temple. Go out in the temple. Began to wane. The flame began to flicker. Until it finally was extinguished. Darkness was in the land. And the place of illumination had grown dim. And the prophetic voice was fading because there was no open vision in the land. But listen to what verse 4 said. But the Lord, the sovereign, remember the creator, he's sovereign over the earth, over the world, over the church. He whispered, Samuel, Samuel, may God's voice begin to echo across these lands that we know as the United States and awaken a generation of Samuels that have the light of God in their heart and they have a burning passion for truth and they're willing to stand up in the face of blatant unbelief and intimidation and fear and in love and in grace and in kind. Don't you judge me today. You don't know me. You don't know me. You say, some of you even sitting here today say, Pastor, you're angry. You're, you don't know me. If you were to Google search nice guy, my face ought to pop up. But I believe in the truth. I'm going to speak the truth in love in the name of Jesus. Because when God calls Samuel, I want to say, here, Lord, here am I. And as I close this message and perhaps this series, you say, Pastor, this is supposed to be the time. Kumbaya, kumbaya, joy to the world. It is joy. It is joy when you know I was a sinner destined for a devil's hell. But then the light of his mercy and grace was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. And I could do something that we're not even taught to do in a distorted culture of the church today. I could repent, change my mind, change my ways. Change my actions. John said that if you are his, you got to walk in the light as he is in the light. Don't say you're his and you're walking in darkness. That's a lie. You're living a lie. But the truth of the gospel. You say, Pastor, as Shane joins me in some worship team, if they would, join me on the platform today. So, Pastor, how am I going to fight this very difficult battle that I find myself in as a believer? Of being kind, gracious, and loving, and holding to the truth, being demonized for speaking the truth, and don't want to fight in the flesh, don't want to say evil things and hurtful things and painful things, or be accused of such things. Don't want to try to. And when I do, I can't. I can't retreat in shallowness and hide myself because. I, but but I, I. Where where do I find my? How am I going to find that proper place in dealing with these very difficult situations? In Ephesians five. Paul said, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. We're going to, church family, the reason why, listen, the reason why the flame that was to flicker constantly in the temple, the reason why that it went out in the days of Samuel is because the priests did not trim the lamp. You understand that today? You understand? Every day, twice daily, actually, 
the priest was to go in to the candlestick. That's what they're talking about, the candlestick. The seven-armed, what we know, menorah that had the light that illuminated the holy place in the temple, which is an analogy for us of our spirit. Every day the priest was to remove the burnout wick, and he was to find the oil containers that the oil had been burned up, and he was to refill it with fresh oil. Isn't that a powerful image? And Paul's using that when he said, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak unto yourselves in psalms and hymns, and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. We are exhorted as believers to hold and to shine forth the light of truth, even in a darkened time. Can I say it one more time? That we are exhorted by the Word of God. Remember what I began this series, Philippians chapter number 2? Holding forth the word of life in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, we shine the light. John said, the light will shine into the darkness, and the darkness will not overtake it. There's hope in God today. Would y'all stand up with me today? Let's let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed. And let's take a moment to pray. And then let's, we're just going to worship. Before I send you out, before I send you out into the community, I'm going to give you an opportunity to worship. You might even want to come forward to worship. But as our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you to take just a moment. Before some of you cut me off, before some of you download this message and cast it into trash in your mind the way you would a computer or a screen, before, before you do so, I want to pray over you and ask you to search the Word of God. Don't make judgment upon how you're affected by the cultural teaching. Don't let that be what influences you. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? You search it out. You become a student yourself. You read the Word of God for yourself. So that you'll know what you believe and why you believe it. What the Word of God says. And that way you can speak the truth in love. And I, I'm not just saying that. That's not just a cliche. That's what the exhortation of the Word is. For us as believers, we speak the truth in love. Pastor, you're talking about family. No, I'm not talking about... I, but, but the reality is, is this issue is all around us. And sometimes it is even in our own family. But the truth doesn't change for your family or for mine. The truth remains constant. That's why it's truth. You and I change to adapt to the truth. Please hear me today. Don't fall into the snare of changing the truth of God into a lie. That's the cultural tactic and tool is to take what's written, clearly written in Scripture, and misconstrue it, twist it, rest it, take it until at the end of the day it doesn't look anything at all like what the author intended it to look like. Judge your own heart. Judge your own life. Judge your own spirit. Come to the light. Let God expose areas of your life. God will use you to be a blessing. God will use you to be light. God will use you to reach into the darkness and pull men and women out of the darkness. Come on, I feel the Lord on that right there. Who will pray that with me right now? Who will say, God, use me. Use my hands, my feet, who I am, what I am, God, to share the light of truth, to be unashamed. 
God to, to be emboldened, even when it's not politically correct or even religiously correct. But if it's biblically correct, then that's what I want to be get found guilty of. And even when there are those men and women that want to intimidate me and silence me and, and to say my words are hurtful when I've actually spoken them in love according to the word of God, then God give me the courage to be all that you've called me to be and not be intimidated by the culture in which I live today. The battle's on, church family. Let the light shine. Let the light shine. Let the light shine. God, let that light shine. Shine it in our hearts. Shine it in our minds. Shine it in our spirits. Shine it in every part of our being. And then, God, give us the courage to shine for your glory. And to speak the truth in love. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless the men and the women that are under the sound of my voice. Now, here today, before I can even go farther, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want to just say this one last thing in prayer. You're praying with me. Please, are you praying with me? Pastor, I'm used to church that lasts 32 minutes, and I'm already out getting my latte. Well, you're in the wrong house today, sir. I'm just telling you. Ma'am, you're in the wrong house. I'm not concerned whether you get your latte. I'm concerned whether you get the Word of God. That's what I'm concerned about in your life. You gave me your time. I'm going to take every bit of it that you're willing to give me to share with you and to challenge you in Jesus' name. Maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice that says, Pastor, I've struggled. I've struggled with some same-sex attraction. or I've struggled in this area. What, what, do I, what, what do I do? Is there somebody? I'm telling you, you can come to me or any of us pastors privately, and we will help you, and we will walk with you in your journey, and we will challenge you. Now, we're not going to change the truth of the Word of God for any situation, but we're going to love you in Jesus' name. You can come to us. You don't have to go to another community. You don't have to go somewhere to, to have that exposed and to gain the help that you need uh, in Jesus' name. You can come to us. You come to us in Jesus' name. The same way anybody that may be struggling with, with uh, addictions or struggling with uh, gambling, or so, they could come to us and we would do everything by the grace of God to help them in Jesus' name. Find their way out. Find the truth of the gospel to live a life that's pleasing to God. That's what we desire and that's what God desires. So I'm going to ask you today, church family, would you leave this bill? Before you leave, would you leave? But when you do, God, pray that the Holy Spirit, that you'll be full of the Holy Spirit as you begin to sing. Let's worship the Lord. Would y'all take a moment right now, right where you're at, but if you want to come to the front, then do so. Let's walk out of the doors of this assembly today with a song on our heart as we worship the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.